Chapter 1. An Island Life for Me Of course Mariah was right. I was not her mother. I had never had any children. I was the somewhat notoriously single and childless Linda Greenlaw. Although I am living what in my mind is a charmed life, even as I was cruising through my forties, I didn't have time for kids, or a husband for that matter. My childbearing and rearing years had been spent fully immersed in my life's work and greatest passion. They were spent at sea chasing swordfish. I never imagined that I would end up alone and childless. In fact, in my earlier years, I'd always taken for granted that I would eventually recreate what I had had growing up, a loving, traditional family complete with hubby and kiddos. But things didn't quite work out that way. Consumed by and in love with the excitement and adventure and challenge of the life and lifestyle of commercial fishing since the age of 19, I always felt fulfilled in a way that might have upstaged the quest for mate and babies. I guess I thought I always had plenty of time for family. Middle age had sneaked up behind me while I was looking over the bow. When I'm not offshore, I reside on Isla Ho, a tiny island with an even tinier population off the coast of Maine. My life on the island is as salty as my life offshore in that I spend my time fishing for lobster, halibut, herring, or digging for clams, basically harvesting anything that swims or crawls around the shores surrounding my home. Of course, I also write about these things, leaving me with a fairly short resume. I fish, offshore and on, and I write about fishing. Writing is as solitary and antisocial as fishing. The solitude and remoteness of island existence and life at sea are conducive to prolific writing and are sources of material and stimulation. But those same attributes have stunted my personal relationships. The years I spent at sea, mostly 30 days at a time, didn't do much for my love life either. There's just something about, thanks for dinner, see you in a month, that doesn't lead to a second date. All of this amounts to what I would call family non-planning. Living on a remote outpost with tenuous ties, weather permitting, to mainline mainland hasn't done any more for the prospect of having my own family than my life at sea has. I didn't plan it that way. That's just the way it is. Ask anyone. They'll tell you that I am the woman who survived the perfect storm. But not only did I survive that devastating and life-taking weather event of 1991, but I also managed, through my undying pragmatism, to make the most of it. I have published, let's see, eight books, taking advantage of the spotlight Sebastian Junger put me on when he called me one of the best captains, period, on the entire East Coast. And the readers of my more memoir-like work will attest to the fact that I do not have children. When I lamented my single and childless status in the Lobster Chronicles, my older sister jokingly referred to the book as a 260-page personal ad. And as my status has not changed, I have to consider the possibility that it wasn't well-written. I hear my fellow islanders whispering, old maid, comments that no longer embarrass me, so I guess I have progressed beyond that particular sensitivity. For that reason, when Mariah reminded me in the heat of battle that I was not her mother, I suppose an appropriate response aimed at her level would have been, duh. But for your edification, let me explain how Mariah came to be on my cell phone bill in the first place. It all began on that same tiny island just a few years ago. The new guy hadn't been on the island long before the residents had all formed strong opinions. When you quite literally reside on a rock seven miles from the mainland with fewer than 50 other humans in the off-season, you get to know more about your neighbors than those who dwell in tamer, more populated areas. However, the trend toward newcomers to the island leveled off when they didn't winter well. Most of them bailed out following their first icy, lonely season and just when the rest of us were beginning to warm to them. Because of this, I hadn't had much to do with the new guy directly, 
It seemed like wasting time if he was going to leave anyway. My opinion of Ken Howard was based primarily on what friends and neighbors who had taken time to get to know him a bit had told me. They'd said he was a decent guy. Moving to Idaho from Memphis, Tennessee, had been Ken's lifelong dream, and now, in his mid-forties, he was going for it. He had visited the island as a boy with his grandparents, and that visit had left such a profound impression that he spent nearly thirty years working to fulfill his dream. I had to respect that. And he had with him his ten-year-old niece, named Mariah. Ken, the story goes, had saved his niece from an existence of poverty, drugs, abuse, etc., bringing her to what he remembered as a paradise so that she, too, could have a dream to pursue. And with our island's one-room schoolhouse at its lowest attendance in years, anyone with a kid was welcomed with open arms. And hey, let's face it, the addition of an eligible bachelor who was no one's blood relative, was ambulatory, and could drive after dark was intriguing to some of us.